You ever say something and just immediately regret it? Just like immediately. Like as soon as you said it, you're like, oh, messed up. Can't get that one back. I do it all the time. But one of my biggest ones happened like, I don't know, three or four weeks ago. My kids do jujitsu, and we've been doing it for a while, and there's a ton of new kids all the time coming into the gym. Some of them hang around. Some of them are just there for a week or two. Come in, check it out. And I've decided, because I love our gym, that you know how, like, church has guest services team that welcomes people? I decided I'm the guest service team for our jujitsu gym. I'm just going to welcome new families and get to know their kids, see what's going on, and just try to plug them in because I think it's a cool deal, and I want to see more kids get involved in it. So I'm sitting talking to a dad, and he points out his two kids, and we're getting to know them. Turns out they live kind of close to us, and we're going, and he asked me how old my boys were, and I tell him, and then I say, well, how old are your boys, or how old are your girls? And he says, they're brothers. And I was like, oh, I didn't know. Like in that moment, immediately, you just called this guy's two little boys girls because they had long blonde hair. That, that was the only thing. And, like, I'm not against long blonde hair. My boys have mullets almost to their belts. Okay, we're cool with the long hair. But just, like, I'd never seen these kids before, and they had it all braided up to keep it off their hair. And when I told my boys what I did, they immediately just started clowning on me. They were like, yeah, definitely boys, Dad. They're definitely boys. So we've been wrestling with them. They're boys. And now that I know these two boys, definitely boys. They're not girls. And their dad was like, it's just a blonde hair, man. It's okay. It's not a big deal. But I felt horrible. And now every time I see that family, I feel this need to be like, Hey, remember that time like three weeks ago when I accidentally called your son's girls? Like, I'm sorry about that. Like, it just creates a lot of awkwardness because I just said something without even thinking about it. It just like popped out of my mouth. And it's always been true, but the older I get, the more I, I realize that words are powerful. And I have a little bit of an obsessive relationship with words. I went to college for speech communication. I nerd out on rhetoric and, like, biblical context, all that stuff. I love song lyrics and poetry and books and stand-up comedy. And I love listening to other pastors and orators. I enjoy the art form. I, I appreciate that kind of genius. Um, but the older I get, the, the, more the more I see words as powerful but also, like, really tricky. Because the same word can mean two completely opposite things. If you don't believe me, guys, when your wife comes out of the bathroom after taking, you know, an hour longer than she said she was going to to get ready, and she comes out and she's all done up and she looks at you and she goes, how do I look? One word. You can go two ways. You could look at her and go, you look fine. And, right, try again. Or you could look at her and go, you look fine. Right? Same word. Two completely different meanings. It's two different things. Words are tricky, right? One thing can mean two different things. And um, the crazy part is that it's just a sound, right? It's just a sound coming out of your mouth. But those things can take on so much meaning that they can make situations and relationships either better or worse, just based on our words. So words are not only powerful, words are dangerous. Words are dangerous. In fact, for most of us, our worst Relational moments were caused by words. They can do unbelievable amounts of damage in our life. And when I was growing up, I know we talked about this in church, uh, but I think a lot of it was lost on me because I kind of felt like, at least as a kid, it all got boiled down to not saying cuss words. Don't say cuss words, right? Cuss words are the dangerous words, the, the, pro, the profane, the vulgar, the swear words, the one that your Baptist Sunday school teacher would never approve. And so I was taught that those are the dangerous words, don't use those words. 
But I didn't really listen to that advice. Right? I kind of use those words a lot. In fact, if you want to come help me hook up my PTO to my tractor, you might catch me saying some of those words. They get me every time. Something about hooking up a PTO is going to make me cuss. But I don't want to lie about it. I'm already a cusser. I don't want to be a liar, too. Right? I want to admit that. And when it comes to other people, uh, it never really bothers me when somebody else uses cuss words. In fact, being a preacher, I meet people and they say something, and then a few minutes later they find out I'm a preacher, and then they apologize for something they said a few minutes ago that I don't even remember they said. Uh, Because unless they were cussing me, just a random cuss word doesn't mean much to me. Those things can mean multiple things. Just like the word fine, four-letter word, can mean two different things, so can other four-letter words that start with the letter F. Because I've experienced both. In fact, I have had people absolutely destroy me. I mean, cut me down without ever using a four-letter cuss word. In fact, my Sunday school teacher may not have had a problem with any of the words that they used to talk to me. But what they said was damaging. And it hurt me. And it hurt the situation. And it messed up our relationship. And they never uttered anything profane or vulgar. But what they said still hurt. And maybe they shouldn't have said it, or at least not the way they did. But they didn't use any cuss words. On the other side, this is probably number one for me. The number one best compliment I have ever received came from a guy that I don't even know his name. My my friend E. Charles Thomas, Pastor Chap, Pastors Northeast Texas, uh, Cowboy Church up in Hawkins. And before he took that church for decades, he was a chaplain in the Texas prison system. And so his ministry is very unique. His church dynamic is very unique because of relationships he has built with guys in the prison systems. A lot of times those guys get out. He's the only guy they know, and he's a safe place. And so Chap's always running around with a pretty rough crew, like guys that have spent decades in the penitentiary. It's a rough bunch, scary bunch if you don't know them. And one time I was speaking at a conference that Chap was also speaking at, and he had his whole section over there, like the don't mess with Chap section. And after I got off the stage from speaking, this huge, scary dude that I never would get in a fist fight with comes up, he shakes my hand, he says, you did a great job, Pastor. He gives me a hug, and then he grabs me on both shoulders. Right, This guy could have played O-line for any team in the league. All right, scary dude. And he grabs me like I'm a little boy, and I'm his, he's my dad, and he's trying to tell me something. He looks me right in the eye. He says, you're a bad MFer. I just got done preaching, okay? And he said, God bless you. I love you, bro. He walked off. Now, if, if you take the literal meaning of what that guy called me, you can't take that as a compliment, right? But in that moment, I took that as a compliment. That was very affirming. That was very encouraging. That was something I needed to hear, even though I didn't know I needed to hear it. And that's why words can be tricky. And I'm not signing off on cuss words. I do think what words you use matter, but even more than that, it's how you use those words that matter. And I want to make sure that whatever sounds come out of my mouth are doing their best to build people up, not tear people down. But I'm not great at it. I believe we all have the power to do it, but words are dangerous. And it's easy to use them the wrong way. And the problem with words is like there's no way to get them back. There's no rewind button. Once they're out there, they're out there. And every single one of us in this room have had our lives shaped by the words that were spoken to us and over us and about us. The things that were said to you, the things that were said over you, the things that were said about you shaped your childhood, your marriage, your social work environments. They impact your confidence, your self-worth, even who you see in the mirror. People with confidence are going to find that through words. 
And then you can lose confidence because of words that were spoken to you. Next thing you need to know is that words are not equally weighted. We know this. I don't know what the ratio is, but I feel like 20 compliments doesn't weigh the same as one insult, right? Like complimenting somebody 20 times doesn't take away that one insult. They, they, they carry different weight. We don't forget hurtful words. You also need to know that the source isn't equally weighted. Harsh words from a stranger don't really matter all that much, but uh, somebody that knows you well could say the same thing and it could really bother you. Most of the time, if you're a boss, your words carry more weight than just coworkers. As a pastor, I know that my words weigh a lot. It's something that's really hard to gauge. I wonder how much weight they carry. That's, that's scary. It's true. We all know that our mother's words mean more to us than just some random lady. And our father's words, or lack thereof, probably meant way more than anybody else. And I know this because throughout my life in ministry, when I have tried to encourage somebody or affirm somebody or just give somebody a compliment, lots of times, lots of times, people look at me and say, thank you, I wish my dad would say that. It's heartbreaking. But it's true. Father's words carry a lot of weight. And then there's the most overlooked part of this whole thing, and that is that the recovery time isn't equally weighted either. The hurt from words can be immediate, but it takes time to recover, and there's, there's no amount of words you can say on the other side to create healing or recovery immediately. That's just not how it works. And when we mess it up and we hurt somebody's feelings, we say, I'm sorry. And then when they're still upset, we say, I said, I'm sorry. And the implication here is that why aren't you fine now, right? Why can't we go back to the way we were before I said what I said and made you mad? But the reality is if I close your, door, your hand in a car door, it's still going to hurt after I say I'm sorry, right? It's still going to hurt. And it's not going to reverse the need for a trip to the emergency room to get an x-ray. Words are powerful. Words are dangerous. They're not equally weighted. It takes time to recover. And this is one of the main themes of the book of James. In fact, James 1.19, he kind of starts his book, the first chapter. He mentions this, and then he picks it back up in chapter 3. But he says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. And we all know this is good advice, right? This is good advice. We all know somebody that we wish would take that advice. Don't elbow them if they're sitting next to you. Bad idea. We all appreciate people that do this, right? It's, it's a good thing to be a good listener. That's a great quality. We all want to be heard. We all want to be understood. And we all recognize that we need to be careful with words because our words have more destructive power than any other part of our body. You can destroy somebody without even being in the room with them. And so James, the half-brother of Jesus, he's writing this letter to the church in Jerusalem, and he goes really hard on this idea. And the fact is, a lot of our greatest regrets could have been avoided if we had just heeded this warning from 2,000 years ago. And this letter was written to Christians, but I think it's for everybody. And James is a great place to start reading your Bible. It's insanely practical stuff. And James's wisdom literature, it kind of jumps around topic to topic, theme to theme. And when he talks about this topic of our words, James doesn't pull any punches. I mean, James just kind of says what he says. All I'm going to do today is just read it out for you. I mean, if I make you mad, don't be mad at me. You can be mad at James, but I think he's right. So he starts with the theme in chapter 1, verse 19, but then he really develops this idea once he gets 
to chapter 3. And if you're skeptical about the Bible and think it might not be true, this is a good verse to start with because I think we can all agree on this one. James 3 verse 2 says, we all stumble in many ways. Right? If this was a Baptist church, y'all all would have said amen. Because right? it's the truth. Right? We all stumble in many ways. Keeps going in verse 2. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. James says, if you can gain control over your mouth, you can keep your entire body out of trouble. And then he gives us examples. And these are examples that we understand. We're familiar with. His audience in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago would have known how this works. James 3.3, he says, we have put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey, and we can turn the whole animal. Now, I came from cowboy church, so I'm real familiar with this analogy. In fact, when I walked in with a bridle this morning, Jared looked at me, and he was like, James 3, huh? Because every cowboy preacher's nothing brought a bridle on stage and preached James 3. It's just part of the deal. But it's reality. I can put my 70-pound, 9-year-old daughter on a 1,200-pound horse, and with the use of this in its mouth, she can control that horse and go anywhere she wants to go. It all starts with controlling his mouth. But he gives some more examples. He says, take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Now, I've spent a lot of time in a boat. Most of y'all probably have too. This is, we, we all understand how this works. You could take a big old 22-foot Skeeter bass boat with a 225-horsepower motor. At the end of the day, about the size of that iPad is about the size of that rudder, and that's what's steering that whole thing, right? Wherever it's going is going to determine which direction you're headed. We all know that a rudder is a small part with a big influence, just like our tongue. Keeps going in verse 5. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Now, just think about your tongue for a second compared to the rest of your body. It's arguably, number one, your ugliest body part, right? Nobody has a good-looking tongue, right? One of the smallest it's only about four inches long. It's mostly invisible. Nobody knows what everybody else's tongue looks like. We keep it in our mouth, right? There's eight muscles in your tongue that supposedly science tells us they never get tired, which is true because my tongue never gets tired of getting me in trouble, right? It's always coming up with something new. So James's point here is like a bridle in a horse's mouth, like a rudder on a ship, the tongue has extraordinary influence and power. Our tongues can control the direction and the quality of our lives. And then he gives another analogy. We all are real familiar with this one, too. He says in verse 5, Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Now, currently here in Smith County, we are under a burn ban for good reason. It's the end of a long, hot summer. And I've always paid attention to that because I always got trash to burn. But in the last few years, I've become really good friends with Baron Wedgworth. He's Smith County uh, Fire Marshal. We train dogs together. We see each other two or three days a week. Our wives are friends. Our kids are friends. We spend a lot of time together. Now that I'm friends with the fire marshal, the burn ban kind of has a different feel for me. Because, like, I'm friends with the guy that's going to have to go put it out if you do something stupid. Right? And when he's on call, I just I see it, man. He's got his wife. He's got his kids. His wife's about to have another baby. He's got enough on his plate to worry about. But he knows at any moment... Somebody could just flick a cigarette butt into a dry bar ditch, and he's going to have to leave his wife and kids, put his own life in danger to try to stop this destruction from happening, right? There's a lot of pressure on that idea. There's a lot of reality that this little bitty thing, just a little cigarette butt that wasn't out all the way, could start something that could cause enormous amount of destruction, not just in the fire marshal's life, but in our entire county. It's true. It just takes a small spark. 
And it's, it's kind of hard to imagine that something so small like this could turn into something so huge. There's no logical correlation between a spark and the damage that it could be caused, and there's no logical correlation between your tongue and the damage that it could cause. Verse 6, James says, The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. He says it has potential for endless evil. Every kind of evil can be initiated by the mouth. Murder can be initiated because of an argument. Divorce can be initiated by what you say. Lots of wars have been started over words. And all of us, every single one of us, is born with our pilot light lit, right? We all have the potential to burn it down. And in verse 6, James says, talking about the tongue, it, it corrupts the whole body. Your mouth can get your whole body in trouble, right? You don't just put your child's mouth in timeout. You put the holy kid in there, right? If you're a boss, you don't just fire the mouth. You fire the whole employee. Right? That's how it works. Verse 6, he says, he set, it sets the whole course of one's life on fire. As your words go, so goes your life. You have the potential to burn down your life, your friendships, your marriage, your career, and even your future with the words that are coming out of your mouth. And some of us have burned the ones we love the most, and when confronted with the damage that we have caused, we usually, I do, defend ourselves with more words. We make it worse. Say, well, you know, I was just being honest, right? I was just hangry, or just mad, or just drunk, or I just didn't mean it. And when we do that, we're fanning the flames of the fire that we started with more words, and it doesn't help. It makes it worse. And here's the reality. If you start a fire accidentally, you're still responsible for the fire that you started. You're going to be responsible for the fire you accidentally started. I know this is true. I lit a burn pile three years ago in my back pasture. Ended up catching my whole neighbor's pasture on fire. Burned up like 25 acres. Yeah, Caroline was there. It happened. And if I didn't have a cool neighbor, he could have sued me. I could be held liable for burning up his pasture. I would be held liable for the damage. That's how it works. That's true in the real world. And it's true that the damage that we cause through words. So I'm going to reread verse 6. It says it corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire. And it itself, and is itself set on fire by hell. The reference to hell here is as a source of evil. It's not a place of torment. This is an attribute from the devil himself. James isn't done in verse 7. Gives another analogy. He says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. He's not necessarily talking about domestication. He's saying the animal kingdom has been brought under control by humanity. And like we're not at threat of something else taking us over, right? We, we've got it subdued. We're at the top of the food chain. We can control every animal on the planet, but, verse 8, but no human can tame the tongue. Can means capable of. No human is capable of taming the tongue. Your tongue is untamable, so it must always be guarded. Verse 8, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Mouth is volatile. It should come with a warning label. And that's so true, right? I mean, at any moment, on any given Sunday, I could stand up here on this stage, grab this microphone, and I could string a, word, a bunch of words together that at the end of the day, I'm never going to be back on this stage holding this microphone, right? Like somebody's going to be up here next week, probably be Paul or Nick, and they're going to be like, hey, y'all all remember Travis, right? Some of y'all heard what he said last week. 
He says he's sorry, but he's not coming back, right? Like, that's absolutely possible. I could destroy my ministry, my career, all of that stuff with just words. And James illustrates just how unpredictable our words are in verse 9. He says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Verse 10, out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? They knew that couldn't 2,000 years ago. We know that today. Fresh water, salt water don't come from the same source. The tongue is unique in its ability to do that. Verse 12, he keeps going. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? No. Fig trees bear figs. Can a grapevine bear figs? No. It has to have grapevines. It's not a fig vine. Neither can salt spring produce fresh water. There is something unique and terrible and disturbing about what our mouths are capable of. And then what comes next from James is really a shock because nothing comes next, at least not on the idea of our mouth and our words. James does all of that to build up all the analogies, you know, the bit in the horse's mouth, the rudder, the fire, the livestock, all that stuff. And then he just says, the end. I mean, like, he doesn't finish with any suggestions. He doesn't give us any application points. He doesn't give us any hope. He just moves on to the next topic of wisdom. But I really wish he had given us a little bit more, like, application to this whole tongue thing. But I think the reason James did that is that his point was that there is no once and for all solution to this problem. Guarding your tongue isn't something you just do one time and never have to do again. It's going to be a battle for the rest of our lives. It's not like an animal that you can domesticate and then just put it behind a fence or in a cage and not have to worry about it anymore. That's not how it works. We can't just collect all of our tongues and lock them up so they don't do any damage. So what do we do? What do we do with something that can't be tamed? What do we do with something that is that unpredictable and dangerous? And the bottom line is, I really don't know, and I'm kind of tempted to just say, hey, let's pray. I'll see you all next week. But instead, I want to give you three words to set us up for next week. James's point is to make us understand the seriousness of what we're dealing with. And I think that these three words are a great filter. Number one, we need to remember. You need to remember that you are powerful because your words are powerful. And that your mouth entered this world with the pilot light already lit. Your potential for both good and evil is unlimited. You need to remember that. That you can do more good or more bad with your words than anything else. You need to remember that. You need to remember that. And number two, we need to surrender that. We need to surrender this dangerous weapon that God has given us, this potential. We need to surrender it to our Heavenly Father. The Apostle Paul says we're supposed to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Our body includes our tongue and the words that they produce. So this week... I would encourage you just to pray that verse, James 1.19, the first verse that we read. Just pray to God. It's real simple. Just say, Heavenly Father, remind me to be quick to listen and slow to speak. God, I want to surrender not just my eyes and my ears and my hands and my feet. I want to surrender my mouth to Heavenly Father, remind me to be quick to listen and slow to speak. And a lot of times it's easier to trust God with our eternity than it is to trust Him with our mouth. That's true for me. And you might be here this morning and say, yeah, I'm not really into the prayer thing. And that's cool, but I promise you, 
you want other people in your life to start their day by saying this prayer, right? That'd be a good thing. So why not join them in that? Just imagine what might happen if you started your day surrendering the words that were going to come out of your mouth to God. So we need to remember, we need to surrender, and third, we need to confess. We have to admit it when we mess up. And remember, James said that we all mess up. We all agreed with that, right? We all mess up. And it's not if you mess up, it's when you mess up. And when you do, don't try to explain it or excuse it. You got to own the fires that you started with your words. You got to own what you said and you got to cut it out. And for the men in this room, again, our words as fathers, they just carry the most weight. I'm not sure why that's true, but I'm sure it's true. Our words are powerful. Either way, we need to be careful with them. We need to remember, we need to surrender. We need to confess. But kids, you're not off the hook yet. Your words to your parents matter. They're not just your mom and dad. They're human beings. My kids can definitely hurt my feelings. And regardless of age, we need to be careful with how we talk to our parents. Ladies, I know we try to look tough on the outside, but I promise you, men's egos are very fragile. Be careful with your words. It carries more weight than you think it does. Men, we need to honor women with our words. And I know that when it's just a group of men and there's no ladies around, there's ways we can talk that we don't talk when there's women in the room. That's a good thing. But even when there aren't women in the room, we need to talk about them and honor them and respect them with our words. That's the kind of world that you want to live in, and that's the kind of world you want your daughter to grow up in. And for those of you, and I know there's a lot, who came from homes where your entire childhood was just burned to the ground with words, just, I mean, flamethrower. You just got scorched day in and day out. I would encourage you, don't repeat that cycle. Break it. It's going to be hard. Anecdotally, I know this to be hard. Social sciences would tell us that if you're raised in that kind of environment, you're going to have a propensity, a tendency, an inclination to repeat that cycle. And you've probably already heard it coming out of your mouth and you thought, oh my gosh, where did that come from? But you know where it came from because you heard it your whole life. You can break that cycle because words are powerful and they have extraordinary and unlimited power for both good and evil. And James' big idea, and I, it's not an easy fix, it's kind of a downer. I wish he had something better that was just push and play and real easy, but it's not. Here's, here's James's big idea. Your mouth cannot be tamed. It can only be guarded. Your mouth cannot be fully outright tamed or domesticated, but by God's grace... And our ability to remember and surrender and confess, it can be controlled. And that horse might still buck you off if you lose control of its mouth. And the direction of your rudder, it doesn't matter where you want to go. If your rudder is not set to get you there, you're not going to get there. And every flame, the smallest flame, has the potential for unlimited destruction. Those things are always dangerous. So are our words which is why we're called to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this message. I pray that we would remember, remember the danger that comes built into us as human beings through the power of our tongue, that our words can do enormous damage. They can build people up. They can infirm. They can encourage. They can do all those things, but they have the potential for so much bad, and we need to remember that before we open our mouth. 
And Lord, we need to surrender that to you. Give our entire body, including our mouth, our tongue, our words. We need to surrender that to you too. And then when we mess it up, we need to confess it. We don't need to try to excuse it or explain it. We need to admit that we messed up. We need to try to do better, Lord. And I pray that you would guide us in that. Give us the strength and the clarity to do that. This is a, this is a lifelong battle. We're going to struggle with this till we get to spend eternity with you. So guide us, direct us, give us your strength. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.